Hello, this is Spencer, and this is Next Exit Episode 4, and today's career switcher is Mark Subsic, a graphic designer turned sommelier. Welcome to Next Exit, Mark. Oh, thanks so much, Spencer. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so first off, I have to read this from your promo materials. Sure, go ahead. So with a laid back but subtle, subtly rebellious style, he has been recognized by prominent wine publications, local magazines, and by digital media entities across the countries. So first off, why don't you describe what you do, because you'll do that better than I will. And then you have to tell me how subtly rebellious comes into your style. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so I am technically a sommelier. Uh, sommelier is uh it's the fan fancy French word for a wine steward, uh, somebody who would normally work in a restaurant capacity. Uh, so when you go into your four-star restaurants and you want to order a bottle of wine, I would be the guy who would come to the table and show you what the wine list has on it. Um, I would be the person who probably chose those wines for the restaurant. Uh, and then I would guide the customer in ordering the best wines that would probably go with the meal that they're going to have. Um, but I don't work in the wine in the uh, restaurant industry and uh, I never wanted to. So I sort of branched out on my own and I'm, uh, I've been labeled by uh, Philly style magazine is what you would call a private sommelier. So I do all the same things that a, a professional sommelier would do, but I do them in a private capacity for uh, private customers, for people in their homes or for people who rent venues for special occasions, uh, that kind of thing. So um, the reason why I guess I would consider myself to be somewhat rebellious is because uh, I don't, follow the normal conventions of the people who work in the wine industry. So uh, you're not going to find me wearing a suit and tie or a bow tie really is sort of like the uniform of the uh, sommelier, the modern sommelier. Um, I think things are changing in the wine industry a little bit, but it's still very slow to change and it's very traditional. And uh, somebody like me is normally frowned upon a little bit because um, I'm not following the normal pathways in the wine industry. So um most people wouldn't even consider me technically a sommelier because to most of the uh, purists, you have to work in a restaurant in order to be one. So even my saying that, that calling myself a sommelier is a little risky. Um, but, you know, I kind of, um, I think I've proven myself. I have the background. I've studied. I put in the time. I know what I'm talking about just as much as anybody else does. So I'm confident in my skill set and I'm confident in my knowledge. Um, I'll go toe to toe with any working uh, restaurant established sommelier any day of the week. Um, but I prefer to work outside of the traditional avenues. That's that, that's pretty cool because I mean, and I, at that last piece that you add there is cause it kind of feels that you're then bringing this to maybe um, you have the opportunity to bring this to somebody that maybe may not have that opportunity. That was the um, goal. Yeah. Yeah. So, and teach them. So, um, so it's funny, yesterday I interviewed a police officer who, you know, that's pretty exciting, or you think it's a, a pretty exciting um, position. But when I told her what you did, her her eyes lit up. So um, <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's so uh, one of, sorry. It, yeah, well, it's um, there's a sexy side to it, and then there's a not-so-sexy side to it. And most people really kind of, their eyes light up when they think about the sexy side of it. Uh, and we'll go into that in yeah, a bit. definitely. So um, why don't you give me a bit about yourself, um, you know, uh, some details so we get some flavor or, or, or understanding about who you are as a, as a person. Sure. Uh, I'll try to keep it brief, but, um, you know, I was raised in a middle-class family. My dad worked for the government when we were kids and um, we lived in Willow Grove. So uh, the 
at one point in time, this was the place that was known most for the uh, Willgrove Park, the theme yep. park. And uh, back then it was just countryside. So um, we were one of the upright, the rising middle class families, I guess. My dad worked for the government and I think he did okay for himself, uh, who bought one of the new houses in the woods of Willow Grove. And uh, that's kind of where I was raised. So, you know, just a normal childhood for the most part. Um, I guess the, the defining moment for us or the thing that changed uh, my life was when my parents got divorced. I was about 13, I guess. And, uh, you know, mind you, this was 1985. So we're talking 33 years ago. Uh, this was a different world back then. So, um, you know, there wasn't any Internet. There weren't very many, uh, I guess, esoteric ways to make a living. It was still pretty much go to college and get a job. So uh, at age 13, I was kind of um, one of three children living with a single mother who really was really strapped trying to make ends meet. And I went out and I got a job. And that sort of started the whole foundation for my working life at age 13. That sort of sent me off in the direction that led to where I am today. So and you, it sounds like you've got, you're about, you're maybe a couple years younger uh, than I am. Because um, I, I remember hanging out at the Willow Grove Mall. I actually grew up in a, a Wincote area. Okay. Um, yeah. So taking the, what was it, the 22 bus up to the um, yep. to the mall. Yep. Um, so and right and what's your fa uh, your family right now? Uh, well, um, I'm happily married. I've been for for 14 years now at this point. So my yeah. wife and I both have we come from uh, split families. So uh, they're all doing well. We have four families essentially now. So uh, they keep us busy, and for the most part, everybody's thriving. But uh, you know, like myself, my my siblings, my brother and my sister. Um, there wasn't enough money there for us to go to college at the time. It just wasn't possible. So we sort of all went out into the working world and uh, at a very young age. And that sort of is what defined my work experience. And also, as I said, sort of sent me off in the on the path that led me to where I am now. So let me ask you a question about that. Sure. Um, if, so one of the things that I like I feel because I didn't grow up, I, I certainly didn't grow up in a, um, a, a rich family, but I mean, we're decidedly middle class, right? So right. I do have a uh, a fear of uh, risk. So going into something like this, um, I mean, is that something that you felt uh, the the um, the fear of of changing thing up, changing uh, things up, and not knowing you know where where maybe the next dollar is coming from? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my my parents, as I said, had split when I was pretty young. But, um, you know, I had a, a very traditional uh, grandfather and grandmother who sort of took up uh, the job of helping uh, raise us on the side. And uh, they were very conservative. And uh, my dad was still very much in my life when I was uh, living with my mom. And he was very conservative. He worked for the government, you know, so the idea or, you know, the thinking was just get one job or learn a trade and stay with that for the rest of your life. And uh, yeah, those voices, that's, I'd say that's pretty much what kept me working for other people for, you know, 30 years of my life. It's, a, it's crazy how, <laughs> yeah, how much that changes the direction of people's lives. It, and it's one thing that you, you look at entrepreneurs, there's an um, like really uh, serial entrepreneurs and, and people that have really been successful uh, and um, and this and they have this fear of fail failing, 
you know yeah. they just they are sorry absence of the fear of failing they just they don't care they they have no conscience they have no memory they go they they'll try something new the next day which is i i'm jealous of that oh yeah gosh i was about to say the same thing too i'm envious of those people i mean obviously you can't change the past and i i have no regrets for the way things turned out but um yeah, sometimes I look at people who either have like a family business uh, that they've been doing for, you know, 100 years or 50 years. And, uh, you know, some people are just kind of from the start, they're entrepreneurs, you know, I'm, I'm sort of envious of them in a way because they sort of know, or at least have an idea about where they want to go. You know, for us, it was all about, we don't really know. And there wasn't the opportunity for us to go to college, at least, you know, not without a lot of money, and um, which we didn't have at the time. So it was pretty much a guessing game. It was just kind of like get out there and, you know, start earning some money. Cool. So how long were you a graphic designer? Uh, but going on about 20 years, I remember very clearly I started in 1996. So yeah. Um, actually 22 years now, I guess. Right. If okay. I do the math right. And uh, you, so you did that for 22 years and it was a strict Monday, Monday through Friday uh, nine to five such type job, right? Yes. And no, I, okay. it didn't, didn't start out that way. Uh, I played in a rock band for a really long time. So okay. I was always, yeah, I'm, I've always been sort of like a little bit of a rebel, a little bit of a creative, you know, more so than, um, a business person. I think it's one of the reasons why I avoided running my own business too, is because I always thought I would hate it. Um, so yeah, I've been more of an artist and a rebel, I guess, most of my life. And, uh, I'm sorry. I forget where we were going with this. Anyway, could you uh, so how long were you uh, uh, oh, yeah, a graphic right. designer? Um, yes. And, yeah, and, so, oh, and so the question was, um, oh, yeah, I forgot where I was, too. Um, yeah. Uh, was the work nine to five? Was it? Yeah. Nine was it nine to five? Right. Now, with graphic design, I mean, you can go either way. You can work freelance, which I did for a long time. That's how I got started. You know, I didn't have any college degree. I didn't have any experience. So uh, I actually bought myself a computer. I had a pretty decent job at the time. I worked in an industrial plant as a materials handler. So I used to cart around all the different parts to all the, the uh, places in the work floor for people to uh, build. And uh, I made a pretty decent living and I lived at home with my mom at the time. So I saved up my money and I remember saving up a thousand dollars. I didn't even have a credit card at that point. So I gave it to a friend who had a credit card and he bought my first computer for me. So I actually... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's how it happened. And I just got into it and I taught myself how to do it. And I was freelancing for a couple of years. So it didn't start out as a nine to five. I worked my way up to the point where I had a pretty solid resume and then I was able to start getting the corporate jobs. So you did this for 22 years when you decided to change your, your job, was it more about um, like wanting to do something new or is it more about hating what you what you were doing. Yeah. See that, that there, this kind of ties back to what we were talking about, you know, having to go to work when I was 13 years old uh, and not really knowing what it was that I wanted to do at that point. I, you know, I just wanted to be a kid really, to be honest with you. Um, but at 13 and being thrust into the working world, you don't really get much of a choice. And right. that was sort of like kind of the flavor throughout my entire career as I felt like, okay, you know, I'm doing well for myself. I have a good job. I have a roof over my head. I have food on the table, but this was never really what I wanted to be doing. I just kind of fell into it. So yeah, I mean, there was a sort of always that taste in the back of my mouth. Like even when I had good jobs and I was working for good employers, it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. 
Well, that's, I think that's, this is a really um, something that has come up a number of times, even when you go to college, right? So I started college when I was 17. Right. I don't okay. know what the hell I wanted to do at, at 17. You no, know? hell no, and no. Why am I deciding? And I always wonder about that. Why are we forcing kids to decide what your career path? And then on top of it, the number of people I know that uh, aren't doing what they went to college for. you know, because my wife included, I mean, she went for psychology and she, she she works in the market research field now. Yeah. My, my wife, I guess my wife uh, uses some of it. She's a communications major, but also French major. (laughs) So, and she's not, she's a director of marketing. So I think this was just one of those things. uh, We were kind of on the cusp, you know, we're talking about the eighties, the nineties, this is before the internet. Um, This was, you know, it, this is almost 30 years ago still. And I mean, there's a lot of traditional thinking and a lot of traditional voices going on still, you know, back then at that point in my life. And, um, you know, we have, I have divorced parents. There's not a lot of money in the house. I, I remember specifically, I'll tell you something and uh, hopefully it won't go off too far on a tangent, but I remember specifically standing at 13 years old in my dining room in my house and my grandfather, who was sort of like the patriarch of the family at that point, coming in and kneeling down in front of me and saying, you're the man of the house. Now your dad is gone. You're going to have to take care of your mother and your sister and your brother. Now go out and do something about that. And I was scared to death, (laughs) but that's what, yeah, that's what kind of sent me off spiraling in this direction. Like, Oh God, got to get a job, got to get a job, got to make money, got to get a job. And that set the tone for the next 20 some years of my life, my career. It's, it's kind of funny thinking about the fact that what was, that was uh, 30 years ago. Yeah, I guess 30 years ago. Yeah, ish. And, um, how different a time it is from that then even from now. Because I kind of think, oh, 80s is not that, uh, you know, it's not the 50s. But just imagine now uh, a, a, a divorced woman, um, somebody telling her son, you have to take care of your mother. <laughs> Yes. You know, it's oh not, I, I just like, it's just kind of, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Just even thinking those, those thoughts. No, I, I hear you. And, but back then that's the way it was yep. you know, yeah. sort of like there was an expectation and you were up, you were there to live up to it, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it uh, in 1982, you're, you're as close to the fifties as you are to you know, actually closer to the fifties and the two thousands. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. So to think about it that way. Um, tell me about the moment where you realized you were actually going to make that, make a change. Oh boy. Um, well, you know, as I said, there was always sort of like this kind of idea in my head that I wasn't really where I wanted to be. So there was that. Um, then I have a little bit of a problem with authority too. So, <laughs> right, you know, taking orders from people. Um, you know, two of the things I think that kind of rubbed me the wrong way about the working world. When I first moved, got into the job, and started working in the corporate world, uh, two things that kind of really just sort of bothered me were these two universally accepted concepts that, like, you have to do whatever you're asked to do unconditionally. And the other feeling that really just always sort of bothered me about working for other people was that you were their possession and they could do whatever they wanted with you. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, you know, that, that was sort of like always in the back of my head. So uh, in 
I guess 2005, I'm working for a large corporation making really good money as a web designer and a graphic designer. And um, we're, it's a small privately owned company. And our competitor, our largest competitor acquires us. So they acquire the company in 2005 and they're up in Connecticut and we're down here in Pennsylvania. So they're a little hands off with the whole thing. And they put in uh, place a bunch of people to manage the, the company who don't have a lot of experience. So suddenly I have this manager that has no experience managing people and, you know, not to judge him too harshly, but he was an awful manager. And, um, I remember sitting down one day at a boardroom meeting with him and he just told everybody, this is the way it is from now on. You do what I say to do. This is a pretty decent job at the end of the day. And you guys are all getting paid a lot of money to work. So from here on in, I'm the boss. And if you don't like it, there's the door. And uh, which was a horrible thing to do as a manager. But um, I remember going out after that meeting with a notepad and sitting on the bench outside. It was a beautiful day, kind of like it is today. And I remember sitting outside with the notepad and figuring out exactly what I would need to live um, without that job. How much money? And how, so long that, ago, how long ago was that? That was 2005. Okay. Yeah, I remember it specifically. It was $26,000. <laughs> it wasn't a lot of money. You know, I mean, I was making a lot more than that. And I thought to myself, where does all this money go? What am I doing with all this stuff? And, and I, you were married at that point, right? I was, yes. Okay. Yeah, just newly married. Okay. That's really tough. I remember uh, uh, literally the week before I got married. I was working an agency job and I had a horrible boss. They had, the company had been sold and um, the owners had left and I was uh, I had been interviewing, but uh, I was also getting married. So it wasn't you know, the focus. And finally I said, you know what? I remember saying to my boss's boss, because I couldn't talk to my boss at this point anymore, that I'm going to actually be dreading coming back here on my uh, honeymoon. So. I quit without a without a, a job lined up. Wow, good uh, for you. you know, yeah, that's I, pretty I, pretty ballsy. <laughs> yeah, but I just I'm just thinking about the fact. I always think about the fact. Man, I did that as I was getting married. <laughs> what was my wife getting into? <laughs> so, um, did you just did you struggle with your decision, um, or always uh, at that point um, did you get pushback, or were you sure you were making the right decision? I didn't know what I was going to do. Honestly, back then, the wine thing was more of a hobby. Um, you know, I was, I actually did an exploration. I think I, you know, probably jotted it down on a piece of paper and all the different things that I'd love to do. I probably went online and I looked up one of those self-help things and, uh, it, you know, the ones that tell you, take a piece of paper and put everything you love to do on a piece of paper. So I think that's kind of the way it worked for me. Um, and the wine thing came up, but it wasn't really, um, it's not a lot of money to be made in the wine industry. So yeah, I struggled with that for a while. And I, at that moment, it was 2005 and I thought I'll make a long-term plan. Um, you know, like I can tolerate this for the meantime, I can just grow a thick skin, kind of put it around me to shield myself. And I have to deal with this jerk of a boss every single day, but how, you know, can I hang in there for the long term and make a plan to get out of here within like five years? And that was sort of how it started for me. So you continued to work at your full-time job all the while planning your, your exit. 
planning my exit and not really knowing what it was going to be, but knowing that it would probably have something to do with my passion of wine or travel or entertaining people. Um, you know, and over the time, over the next 10 years, I wound up staying for 10 years actually. Uh, but over that duration, the, um, the picture became clearer for me, which is how I was able to kind of end up with the business that I have now. So 10 years. So, um, you, I assume at some point you walked into your um, boss's office and quit. No. Okay. Not a, no, it didn't work that way at all. Um, I was uh, I was studying my want for my wine certs and uh, just kind of biding my time. And I'll be honest with you, it was a little bit of a gilded cage. We were making really good money, and I was enjoying the money. I was enjoying the lifestyle that it afforded me. Right. We were able, we were able to travel. We were uh, eating well. We were buying lots of nice, expensive wines. It was a good life, you know, so that's kind of hard to walk away from. Uh, so the way it happened for me, actually, was uh, that the company decided to move headquarters back up to Connecticut. So they actually closed the doors on us. And when was this? 2016. 2016. And yeah. so you started your company um, at that point or somewhat after that? They actually gave us a heads up. Uh, they said, things are not going well. We're thinking about moving the company back up to Connecticut. Um, you have half a year to figure out what you're going to do. Okay. You, can either, you can either come with us up to Connecticut and work with us, or you can move on. And uh, I decided now's the time. This is better. You know, I'm basically being pushed out of the nest, so it's time to go. So I incorporated, got my LLC, and I started hustling. Gotcha. Yeah. So- you have your diploma uh, from the uh, it's the Wine and Spirit Education Trust of, of London, and yes. I I watched uh, I actually watched Psalm uh, on Netflix yesterday. Oh yeah, that you've seen it. Yeah. Oh yeah, both of them. Okay. There are two of them. It's yeah. Now I'm I'm kind of hooked. I have to watch the second one, but uh, it, that was pretty intense. Was it anything like that? It was, but it was more self study. So the uh, Master Psalm course, which those those gentlemen and ladies have uh, taken. That is like, that's the top, you know, like you don't go any higher than the master. Right. Psalm. Uh, so that's pretty intense. That's two years of study and nothing else. That's like college level study. So you have to push everything else in your life aside and pretty much do nothing but study for that cert. Um, I am one level under that. And the study was almost as intense, but it was more at home and uh, self-guided. And it took about three years for me to complete. Gotcha. What's it like going back to school at a not old, but not young age? I'll tell you the hardest thing I think for me is, uh, and you may be able to attest to this, but as you get older, your brain just doesn't retain, retain things like they used to. Uh, what were we talking so, about? Oh, sorry. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, uh, I always use the analogy that the brain is sort of like the attic in a house and when you get to our age, it's just full of junk and it's really hard to put anything else up there. So um, you need to move other stuff out in order to make room for new stuff. So I have a really hard time retaining information. So that was probably the hardest part for me was three years of intense study and having having to have sort of like an encyclopedic, encyclopedic knowledge of wine. Um, that was probably the biggest challenge after so many years of not. And plus, you know, mind you, I didn't go to college either. So I was never very studious to begin with. So that was a huge challenge for me. You know, that's a really interesting point you bring up there, because when I, you know, watching some, uh, it was. I think that was the thing that was um, so like interesting. It's like, oh, my God, how can you, you know, listening to them 
not only taste and recall what the wine was, but what region it was from specific down to the valley and what year oh my god when they would say the year i'm like how do you retain this but then i'm also thinking about it as a uh, a 49 year old trying to retain that information not a you know 29 year old trying to retain or 25 year old trying to retain that information so yeah i think that makes a big difference um did you so you had a plan when you were going through your ed- education, um, but it wasn't fully crystallized at that point, right? Right. Okay. Um, and so your objectives are entirely different than those of your classmates. Yes. Uh, for most of the, for, uh, the most part, the people who go to study through the WSET already work in the business. So they either work in the hospitality or the restaurant industry, or they work for a wine distributor or importer. Uh, I did none of those. I was just a guy who was interested in wine. So for mo- for me, it was a hobby for a long time. And as we were going along and getting noticed that things were sort of falling apart at my workplace and the fact that I was never really happy to begin with, these were all kind of signs that I was, I'm going somewhere with this or I need to be going somewhere with this. And that's when it started to, started to sort of crystallize for me. So are there things, so you've been doing this for a couple of years now. Are there things that you miss about um, having that Monday through Friday, nine to five job, you know, health, health insurance, regular pay, vacation time, those types of things? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you do. Um, It's not for the faint of heart. It's definitely not how I, how I imagine things would, would be. Um, uh, You really have to kind of get used to sort of living on the edge. You know, there's that saying, I guess, where you, you, jump off the cliff and you build your wings on the way down. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's that's sort of what it's like every day when you're your own business person. Um, how have you, um, one thing I want to specifically ask you, how have you handled health insurance? I pay through, well, I, uh, you know, when Obamacare first came out, I paid through the marketplace and mm-hmm. um, the prices went up last year. So I went through my own. Um, so yeah, I do. I do pay for health care for myself. Um, my wife does have it through her company, but it was actually be more expensive for her to do it for both of us. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it, it's actually a, enough of an issue that I've, I've been thinking about potentially as a little side um, podcast or set, side episode talking to a, an insurance broker or somebody who specializes in um, in, in health insurance, just because everybody I seem to talk to. Definitely, um, I talked to a, a bar owner. It's a big issue, uh, and it should. It really just feels like it shouldn't be. Yeah. It, oh, it's, it's it's a huge burden. Yeah. And it should. It feels like it's a barrier to innovation to me, right? Because you have this great. This is a great idea. I think. I mean, I, I think this is an awesome idea. And everybody I mentioned it to, they're like, "Wow, that's that's really cool," oh, and it's a barrier. <laughs> you know, health insurance. Yeah, the health insurance. My health insurance represents probably one quarter of what I make per month. Wow. You know, I'm not making a lot at this point. I've only been out for two years. Um, but I, I would nor- I would probably be making enough to support myself and to carry myself right now if it weren't for health insurance. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, and we're, I, I really could talk to you uh, for an hour about this, but we, we have, <laughs> we have half that. So um, I want to ask you what your recommendations would be uh, for someone thinking about just in general, uh, just changing their careers drastically as you did and what recommend, what you would suggest that they do? 
Yes. Uh, well, first, um, I remember one of your prior guests was saying something about what she, uh, I don't know if she called it this, but I call them non-negotiable things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're going to be out on your own, what is it that you can't live without? Um, kind of put that down on a piece of paper. You know, for us, it was good food, good wine and travel. Um, no matter how much money we're making, those things are not they're on the table. They have to always be on the table for us. So, you know, first think about those things that you can't live without and uh, how you're going to get them. Um, the other thing is obviously to have a little bit of a plan. I just don't go out. I was fortunate enough to have a wife who was there to help support me and offer moral support too and emotional support. So that's always helpful to have somebody to bounce that off of. Um, but I, I would say don't get I have a tendency to, and a lot of entrepreneurs and business people do have the tendency to kind of shoulder the burden for about of everything for the, by themselves. Um, and you don't have to do that. There are support groups out there. There are business support groups. Uh, there are schools out there who offer advice, scholarships, um, apprenticeships, things to help train you. But I would say, don't just jump willy nilly, take some time, mm-hmm. plan it out, uh, reach out, you know, like I did, I think, you know, not that it works the same way for everybody, but what worked best for me was to do it over a period of five years and really kind of just like figure out what it was that I was doing. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, how should people reach you if they're interested? And like I said, I think people will be interested. How should they be able, uh, how should they uh, find you? Oh, cool. Yes. Well, if you want to go to my website, you can learn everything you need to know about me at wineliving.info. But I, what I really appreciate and what I'd really love is if you went to the YouTube channel and watched my videos because um, I'm very proud of them. I put a lot of work and love into them. And I think that they're fairly educational. So if you want to learn about wine, you want to learn about spirits and cocktails and food and how to put that all together. um, I think my videos hopefully are a pretty rich resource and uh, they're hopefully fun and entertaining to watch too. So wine living on YouTube. Excellent. Thanks. And I'll put that information in the show notes. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Mark, for your time. And uh, I look forward to maybe one of these days uh, uh, having a sharing a glass, a bottle of wine. (laughs) I would love that very much. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you need any additional information, why don't you go over to the website? That's www.nextexit.site. That's where you'll find links to Mark's website and his YouTube page as well as as well as his Twitter account. Uh, you can also go over to the website and if you want to reach out to contact me with either feedback or if you think you're a good candidate to, to be interviewed on the show, uh, that's a good place to, to reach out to me. Finally, it would be extremely, extremely helpful if you uh, could go over to iTunes and give me a five-star review. That way, uh, it helps people find the, the site. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. We'll have another podcast for you. Uh, it'll be released late Tuesday, so it'll be in your uh, podcast app on Wednesday morning. <laughs>